Little fourth grade Katie was obsessed with game show network and cooking shows. I remember I started off with the kids specific ones and thankfully my taste has changed with time. But with that, I've become hyper aware of the production teams, how these shows are crafted, and when I really stepped back to wonder what it was about these shows that I was so drawn to, it's really the inspiration and kind of the message that you can do something with the passion and the dream that you have in your heart. Now, over the past few years, I've become aware of one of the TV celebrity chefs and judges, Gail Simmons. And as we were looking out to the season on the podcast, um, I had to reach out just to ask if she would come on the show. And she was gracious enough to say yes. Now, what I love about um, welcoming these guests on the show is that you're not just hearing about the career and the view from the mountaintop. You're hearing about the whole story. So today, Gail shares with us um, surprising bits of her story that I didn't know, parts of her journey that led her here that will surprise you and surely encourage you um, if you are kind of considering pursuing a similar path or really one like it. Uh, We also talked about friendship and what it means and looks like to check in on friends' mental health and just the restaurant and food culture in New York City, which I always have a little bit of envy over because at heart, I am a New York City girl. One day, I'll just have to go visit all my friends that I made through the show. (laughs) Here's a little bit more about Gail. Gail is a trained culinary expert, food writer, dynamic television personality. Since the show's inception in 2006, she has lent her expertise as a permanent judge on Bravo's Emmy and James Beard award-winning series, Top Chef which is now in its 19th successful season. She's a co-host of The Good Dish, um, a daily syndicated series offering delicious recipes, real-life wisdom, and conversations on topics of the day. She most recently was host of Top Chef Amateurs, as well as Iron Chef Canada. From 2004 to 2019, Gail served as a special projects director at Food and Wine. In February 2012, she published her first book, Talking With My Mouthful, My Life as a Professional Eater, her first cookbook, Bringing It Home, Favorite Recipes from a Life of Adventurous Eating, which was released October 2017. Nominated for an IACP award for Best General Cookbook, it features recipes inspired by Gail's world travels, all made with accessible ingredients with smart, simple techniques for successful family meals and easy entertaining. Gail appears on other daytime television shows such as Today on NBC, Rachel Ray, and The Talk, and was named the number one reality TV judge in America by the New York Post. She's an entrepreneur in residence at Babson College, co-founder of Bumble Pie Productions, and the newest global ambassador for Children in Conflict, an international organization committed to protecting, educating, providing critical aid for the world's most vulnerable children affected by war. Gail sits on the board of several other nonprofit organizations and philanthropic endeavors, including City Harvest and Hot Bread Kitchen. She currently lives in New York City with her husband, Jeremy, and their two children, Delilah and Cole. Welcome to Making Room, a podcast by Gather Intentional Living and Everyday Hospitality. Listen, we understand that the way that our culture often portrays hospitality is unattainable, and sometimes even just the thought of opening your door is crippling. Join us in the pursuit to bringing beauty, meaning, and celebration back to the everyday gathering. Go ahead, take your seat. We saved one just for you. 
If you're anything like me, you've always wondered just a little bit about meal subscription boxes. But what if I told you that I have the answer to no advanced meal planning, no grocery shopping, no big messes, and straight to your door restaurant quality meals? Well, with Gobble, you can have all of that. 15 minute restaurant quality meals, you heard that right. With everything pre-chopped, pre-portioned, no need to measure or peel or any of the stuff that drives you nuts on a weeknight, you can have access to a diverse menu of flavors with special options for dietary restrictions, even options for large families and kid-friendly options. With Gobble, you can have all of this delivered right to your door to make your weeknight delicious and so much more simple. Click the link in the podcast notes to get your first six meals for only $36. I promise it's as good as it sounds. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to make one quick note. There is no question that we have been welcoming on incredible guests and incredible communities and expanding the making room by gather table. In order to keep making that happen, we need your reviews. As silly as it sounds and as often as you might hear it, it has as much power as we say it does to bring the episode to the front page of all the search engines and to give the show a little bit more credibility. So before you listen, if you could press pause, hit five stars, and even better, write a full review of your experience with our shows, that would mean the world to us. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. You have um, an incredible career. I'm sure everyone listening knows you from one area or another. Um, You're involved in so many incredible things from being a celebrity chef and judge on Top Chef and, of course, a recent cookbook release as well. But I like going back to kind of where it all began. I love knowing the whole story behind people's careers, um, especially in the food industry. So did you always want to cook? Talk to me about your earliest food memories. Uh, No, I I didn't always want to cook. I think I, there was cooking in my, in my family, in my history. My mother was a really excellent cook. Her mother was a great cook. My mother was in the food industry. Uh, She ran a cooking school out of our home growing up. When it got too big, she then actually transferred it to the home ec rooms of the local middle school. But she wrote a, a food column in the Globe and Mail, which is Canada's biggest national newspaper. And that was long before food writing was really a very common thing. Sure, there were some glossy magazines out of New York, obviously, Gourmet and Bon Appetit and a few others. But otherwise, at the time, and I'm talking in like the late 70s and 80s, when she was working, um, food writing was really relegated to the back of women's magazine pages still. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that was long before the internet or any social media explosion of food. So wow. either you were kind of a chef in restaurants or, or, or that was it, you know, yes, like you were teaching home ec, uh, but my mother was doing a lot more. And so my food, my, my, my home life was full of delicious food. My parents were amazing travelers. Uh, we traveled a lot as children. My father was from South Africa. So wow. we spent a lot of time, uh, trekking across the globe to visit family in Africa to, uh, you know, just travel in general, because that was a passion of my parents. And so I think from a very early age, I spent a lot of time either in the kitchen with my mother or traveling with my parents and thinking about food while we were traveling. So it was definitely part of the culture of my life, um, learning about different places in the world through food, learning about people through food and their traditions. We had a very strong food tradition in my family. 
for a very long time. In fact, the opposite sort of happened, as I think happens with young people when they're starting out in the world and trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do. The last thing they often want to do is be just like their parents. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly the case for me when people would tell me that I reminded them of my mother because I took an interest in food. And this was later, like in college years, I hated it. It felt like Mm -hmm. my destiny was beyond my control. Um, It was only when I graduated college, I guess my last year of college, uh, when I really started cooking for myself and realizing that my mom had all the answers to my cooking questions um, and she would send me her recipes. And I, I remember she had an extra food processor. So she gave it to me to lug back to college for my last year of college. And, um, and I started writing restaurant reviews for my student paper at college. And it was only then that it occurred to me that this could be an actual job, um, even though the path to that job was still very unclear. Because again, when I was graduating college, it was, it was really long before the explosion in food media that we then saw several years later. So hmm. what were you studying? Um, while you I were was at- studying anthropology and Spanish language. I'd spent a year of school in, in Southern Spain. Um, I'd also spent a lot of time traveling during college. I'd spent several months in Australia and New Zealand. I had spent, you know, six months traveling through Europe after I was in Spain. Um, And then I had spent a summer in the Middle East. So I had really done a lot of travel and, you know, it was all informed by what I wanted to eat. You know, I would follow my cravings in and um, that really is what um, inspired me to to travel and and then to bring home what I loved to eat and discover from my travels, just as my parents had done. And it was only when I graduated college and realized the of food and, and learning about food and writing about food and being able to tell stories through food. So that was, um, you know, already when I was into my early twenties. Wow. Wow. So interesting. Um, so I'm thinking of like your parents' generation and I feel like having rich table cultures was not very common, right? I mean, like you were saying, there wasn't a whole lot of food media, there wasn't a whole lot of that. And so mm-hmm. I hear a lot of like, yeah, we grew up on meat and potatoes or like prepared TV, right. dinners, things like that. So it, it certainly was a time I do remember quite clearly that in the eighties, when I was little, my mother, you know, really cooked everything from scratch. It wasn't that she was like baking all day. It wasn't like that. She was a very spontaneous cook, but a very good cook. And, uh, you know, the early eighties was also when the world was discovering the microwave. And women were getting back in the workforce and were, you know, were, were finally not um, bound to be at home. Like there was, you know, this is right after sort of that 60s and 70s women's movement of, and my mom was like, a, a, you know, a very staunch feminist and very um, clear about wanting me to be an independent person and, and make my own way in the world. And she... Um, she, you know, her, her, but cooking was the way that she showed us love and, and enabled the people around her to feed their own families by teaching. And so the food in our house was always really fresh and simple, but always um, an event, right? And so yeah. I think that that was rare in, the, in that time when so many of my friends were, you know, yes, eating processed food and, and faster food so that their mothers didn't have to cook. You know, a lot of people then saw 
being in the kitchen as something that hindered them from being out in the world and beyond, you know, sort of ahead of, of, of her time in a lot of ways. So as I was reading through your bio, there's this one kind of line that really stood out to me and it's that you were named the number one reality TV judge in America. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure who made that decision, but it's a nice (laughs) one. (laughs) No, I mean, that's remarkable. So as much as I love like celebrating those accomplishments with you, what I like to hear even more is kind of like the journey that led to it. So as I'm picking out pizza pieces of what you're saying, you said you kind of graduated college with this food curiosity, I guess. Right. And kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. this idea of what might come, but what was it like from that point to number one reality TV judge? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a, a 15 year or something, um, swath of time. Mm-hmm. where I worked really hard. Um, when I graduated college, I, you know, I, again, a, a lot of my friends felt, you know, like they had very clear visions. It seemed easy to them to figure out what they wanted to do as their next step. And I felt very ill-prepared when I graduated college. I had a great education. I went to a great school. I had amazing experiences. I felt like I was, um, a really strong student. I graduated with great mark. Really wasn't sure what that prepared me to do, if anything. Um, and so felt a little bit lost, to be honest. But I had this curiosity and interest in food, in cooking, in writing. I always had loved writing and storytelling. And so when I graduated and moved back to Toronto after college, I started sort of snooping around, talking to my mom's friends, talking to some people I know knew who were a little older than me. And as much as I was lost, actually, uh, the story I tell, which is true, is that one of my mom's friends, my mom was sort of worried about me because I wasn't, you know, I was floundering as as kids do after college. Mm -hmm. And uh, her best friend's daughter, who was a few years older than me, who ended up becoming a a very successful food television producer, actually, in Canada, took me aside and, and asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And like, you know, what are things you'd like to do, Gail? Not necessarily what is the job that you want? Cause I couldn't answer that. I didn't know what job I wanted per se. Um, but she was like, just write down what you love to do. And let's just start there. Like stop putting so much pressure on, on it, that it has to be like some professional job, like doctor or lawyer, or I want to go do a master's degree. Just what are the things you like to do? And I wrote down eat, write, travel, cook. And she looked at the piece of paper where I had written the words and she was like, so I don't know what your mom's so worried about. Like there, there it is. That, that's wow. it. Let's go do it. And it's funny 20 plus years later to look back at that moment and think how right she was and how I could never have imagined where it would take me. But it really was those four things that led me to do everything, to do everything that came after it. It was with that motivation that I went and got a job. I got an internship at um, a magazine in Canada, Toronto Life Magazine, which is the city magazine of Canada, similar to New York Magazine, and the restaurant reviewer, and followed them around and finally got them to let me write little things for them. And then got a job at a big national newspaper that was launching. And I was in the entertainment weekend magazine section. And also found myself just wanting to write about food, restaurants, discover my city, explore the like ethnic pockets of Toronto, which is an incredibly diverse city, a vast city of um, 
of extraordinary immigrant populations that I really, as a child, hadn't had that much of a chance to explore. So started doing that more and realized that it was all through food that I, that I wanted to tell these stories and wanted to write. And so I went to my food editor at this newspaper where I was working now as an assistant editor or editorial assistant, actually, and said, this is what I want to do. How do I work in food? Because there was like three jobs in, in Canada for food writers and they all were really established and no one was going anywhere. And most of the media that we consumed at the time in Canada was American media. And the editor said to me, if you really want to write about food, if food is your thing, then go. You have to learn about food because as much as you like to eat, you don't know anything about food. Like you don't know how to cook. You know, you can't really be taken seriously. You can't really tell stories authentically if you aren't sort of on the front lines. And he was absolutely right. I mean, I was 23 years old and I liked to cook, but I certainly had no training. I did not understand kitchens. I didn't understand um, the world of restaurants, really. And um, I had no language with which to tell these stories. And so I quit the job and I enrolled in culinary school and I moved to New York City. And I thought I would be in New York for a year and then go back to Toronto and, you know, get that dream job I wanted. And that was 22, almost 23 years ago. Um, I never left. I, I went to culinary school. I loved it. And I sort of found my place in the world. I found the thing that drove me. And from there, went to work uh, as a cook, I worked in kitchens. I, you know, learned the language of the kitchen, learned about restaurants, um, got my skills up so that I could never, you know, always with the intention of writing, never with the intention of becoming a chef. I went into kitchens because I wanted to get experience and understand it so that I could then write about it with authority. Um, and when I left the kitchen after a while, I then went to work for a food critic, uh, an incredible food writer, uh, worked for him for two years, uh, the food critic at Vogue magazine, Jeffrey Steingarten. And from there, I went to work for, um, I mean, I'm abbreviating everything, but to get to the, to the food judging part, um, I went to work for almost three years for Danielle Boulou, an extraordinary chef, one of the you know, best chefs in the world, really, to work at Food Line, and was there for 15 years, pretty much. Um, in many capacities, but, you know, one of which was, which was entirely unanticipated um, was that through them, I landed a role on Top Chef as one of the judges. And I've been doing that now for 16 years and, uh, and we're still at it. So that was definitely like an unexpected turn. My, my thought of being in food media was always to be in print when I started because print at the time was what food media was, you know, in the early aughts. Um, and now, obviously, food media means a thousand things. And I was sort of just lucky to be in the right place at the right time where I could jump on that ride and let it sort of take me where it did. And I could have never anticipated exactly how that would happen. As you're saying this, what were the words that you wrote down for your mom's friend? Eat, write, travel, cook. Eat, write. Okay. I was wondering if some, anything like video or TV related was on there. No, but... no. Okay. In fact, very markedly not. It was never a thought. I, I never cared for television. I never, it wasn't a thing at the time. 
you know, yes, there was a food network maybe in its infancy. Uh, it existed. And that was, you know, a bunch of professional chefs like Emerald Lagasse, maybe Rachel Ray was just starting. Um, but that wasn't even in my purview. I, I never had aspirations, not to say that I don't appreciate what I do now. And obviously, the world has changed. And I love the fact that I'm able to, to do it. But back um, when I was starting, television wasn't even on my radar. Like it wasn't even of interest because food television wasn't the way that it is now, the opportunities that there are now for people who aren't just chefs didn't exist, right? Blogs like, and certainly I never thought that television would be part of that either. I, it didn't even occur to me. Man, I, I love that because our story is kind of similar. I remember I went to my um, guidance counselor in high school and I wrote down three different perif- uh, professions. I wanted to go to culinary school. I wanted to be a social worker and a teacher. And oh, business. <laughs> business was the last one. And he kind of looked at me like, That's I know. Right. And he was like, there's no way, but I wrote about this recently. I was like, no, I don't know how to tell you, but like, I know they're all going to come together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's kind of what's happening. It's just kind of like one stepping stone at a time. And it almost leads you to kind of like your TV career, something you would have never expected, but the process almost is what you need to get there. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, what's interesting is that when I was graduating college and I would say, well, I have this degree in anthropology and in Spanish uh, literature, language and literature, people would say, oh, well, you know, that really was useless. Like that, that wasn't a, um, a degree that really helped with what you do now. I mean, now what you're doing is so far from that. And I always say that they're completely wrong. Like I, I couldn't <laughs> disagree more um, that anthropology, what is anthropology, but the study of culture, right? And, and food and the way that we cook and nourish our families, ourselves, our traditions, all based around food. It's all the study of different cultures in the world. And it is, food is the lens through which I see the world, through which I explore cultures, because that's a way in, but it is absolutely about anthropology, about understanding culture um, and traditions and the way that we gather, the way that we celebrate milestones and, you know, it's all kind of through food. So, um, so anthropology is very much at the forefront of what I do. In fact, in some ways, I think of myself as an anthropologist more than anything. I'm certainly more of an anthropologist than I am. So, um, so anthropology certainly did come in handy and Spanish did too, because when I first, when I first got to kitchens, um, it wasn't intentional that I had learned Spanish and remember that I'm from Canada. So it isn't as if Spanish is spoken very often in Canada. Um, it's not the language of the kitchen in Canada. Um, but when I, but having been armed with two languages growing up besides English, uh, you know, I spoke French. I went to school in a French city. I went to French immersion uh, in through elementary school through eighth grade. So I spoke French and I spoke Spanish and getting to the kitchen especially the, the, the very traditional European kitchens that I worked in, the bosses all spoke French and the line cook all spoke Spanish. And that was a huge advantage for me, especially as a woman who was in both of the big kitchens I cooked in. And then as, as well, working for Danielle Ballou, um, it was an amazing way to ingratiate myself and prove myself in the kitchen or just to my bosses and colleagues because I could speak their languages and I um, I really 
I'm so grateful that I had chosen to learn Spanish. And when I learned Spanish back in college, it was never with the intention of being in a kitchen. It was, you know, really just an amazing serendipitous um, advantage that I had, that I definitely had. Yeah. All the pieces coming together. I see kind of like a weaving of your story. Like all yeah. the different pieces. I mean, you like, use what yeah. you have exactly. And and, yeah. and it takes you to the next like rung on the ladder and, uh, and being armed with all of those things in my education, even though I didn't know it at the time, was mm-hmm. certainly an, uh, a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, um, one thing I want to hear a little bit about is a lot of us see you, you know, from the other side of the screen, but I want to talk about the behind the scenes of some of your shows. Um, whatever one you kind of want to highlight is fine with me. Cause I know you're involved in a few, what do you want people to know about the behind the scenes? Sure. Um, you know, I, I'm on two shows that happen to be on the air right now. I mean, I, over 15 years I've been making television or more, uh, I've certainly done others, but obviously top chef has been, this show I've been on for 16 years. We're, we're in our 19th season. Um, and it is wild. It really isn't Mm -hmm. anything I anticipated doing. And I, it is, has become such a a massive, obviously part of my life. Uh, and at this point it's hard to imagine life without it. I always say to my producers, like if I, when I have to make a show that's not with you, I'm just so used to having you guys there. They're like my security bank blanket. You know, I've made that show with them for so long and we all, we speak a language together. We have a, a shorthand to making that show. Um, most of the people who've worked on that show, and we have a crew of 150 people, wow. um, have been on it since the third or fourth season. So going into season 20, uh, you know, we, we, they really are an extended family. And we, 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 we joke that we go to, get to go to summer camp together once a year. Um, but it does feel like a reunion whenever we're together. And, uh, and, we, we just know how to work together so well. That's, that's really been an extraordinary highlight in my life because it has allowed me these long standing relationships and they've all taught me so much. I mean, our producers are an amazing group of people and they're all really young, you know, really interesting people from different backgrounds who have been allowed by Bravo, our, our network that obviously created the show to, to, to push to push us and they've let us do a lot of amazing things that I, I now realize has been such a gift. Um, the bat, the behind the scenes of the show, I think, you know, people always ask me, what's the, what's your favorite part about top chef or what's your least favorite part about top chef. And I would say the same answer is true to both questions behind the scenes. And that is that I think what sets top chef apart, what has given it its longevity and also has, and foremost, the, the casting of the show, not just Tom and Padma and I um, working together and how well we get along and how much we all believe in the show we're making, but really the contestants on the show who at this point are hundreds of people um, who have gone through the show and, um, and have all now become household names because they are so extraordinary. They are so talented. We give them the platform, but you know, something like 250 restaurants in America have opened by Top Chef contestants since they've been on the show. Many of them have gone on to do books and television shows of their own, come out with products, open multiple restaurants. Like they really are the stars. If you look at like the Food Network right now, which is not where we are, you know, we are on a different network, but the Food Network talent is like 80% Top Chef contestants at this point. Wow. I mean, that's just, 
you know, and if you look at the restaurants that are the top restaurants in every major city, um, so many, not all of them, obviously, but so many of them are top chef restaurants. And uh, so we're incredibly proud of the contestants. And though we have no contact with them when they're on the show, we keep things very separate so that we can judge them fairly. But once they leave us after their season, we get a chance to get to know them a little better. And I'm incredibly proud of all of them and how hard they work and just what solid people they are um, and how dedicated they are to their craft. And the other piece of the show, I think that is that season, we go to a different city, often a different country. Uh, we travel all over, we travel all over America and, and internationally to shoot the show. And because we do every season in a new city, that city truly informs the season. And so slowly over 19 seasons, we've been able to explore the rich food culture of America and beyond. Um, and that's been really exciting. I mean, at this point, we've been to like every pretty much every major city in America. We've also traveled everywhere from Hawaii to Mexico to Italy to Singapore, China. Um, you know, we've done such a deep dive into food culture here and abroad. And I think that's really what has allowed our show to thrive. And it's the best part of shooting the show because we don't just go to a place for a weekend. We, we touch down and we're there for a month, two months, sometimes more. So we get to really know the city and um, explore its food culture, its chef community, its restaurants. And that's been an incredibly rewarding piece. It's also the most complicated piece of the show and difficult as a mother. Uh, I have two young children and, you know, logistically, it does not make life easy. If I, if I could just shoot this show in New York um, and go to work every day like a normal person, that would be awesome. But that's not the case. Um, so it definitely makes life more complicated, but it also makes life infinitely more interesting. Wow. Yeah. I hear that, you know, the two sides, that's like, that's the reality of so many things that we come to love, right? There's like compromise mm -hmm. and sacrifice, and then there's things to celebrate. And, um, I see your anthropology kind of coming in there too, huh? With all your travel. And yes, of course. An incredible asset Absolutely. you become. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So your career is spent really around those leading the way in hospitality in our culture, really, um, who have been the most influential voices in your view, like your personal view of hospitality? Yeah. Uh, so, so many people. I, I've been really lucky to have some incredible mentors in my life who have really taught me about the world of food and restaurants and also the real meaning of hospitality, especially over the last two years when that definition has been turned upside down a little bit. And we've all had to really reevaluate this industry. <clears throat> Restaurants have just gone through such extraordinary turmoil and crisis. And so examining what that means, you know, and, and seeing so many leaders emerge, so many friends of mine who have been faced with unfathomable decisions and, um, and been, you know, really emerged making the industry better has been really inspiring, actually. Um, you know, I talked about my early years working for someone like Danielle Boulou, um, who, who still remains uh, a leader in the industry in every sense of the word. Um, you know, he definitely comes from a traditional European cooking background, but he, New York is such a major piece of his like life's blood. And I think there's like no one who loves New York City more than Danielle Boulou. 
and the people and who there's just no one who takes better care of his people. Um, and that was an incredible example as a leader. He, you know, I joked that he was like my fairy godfather. Um, but he is everybody who works for him, fairy godfather, the, the uh, family tree of Danielle Boulou, of people who have gone through his kitchens, his restaurants, who've worked in any capacity for him and have gone on to um, their own great success is like astounding because he really teaches, like he's a real teacher and he's a caregiver in his kitchen. Working at Food & Wine, I had two great mentors who remain really close women in my life um, and who taught me so much. I mean, I worked for Food and Wine for 15 years and it's a magazine that will always be really special to me, even though it has gone through so many changes. Um, the editor-in-chief for 21 years, Dana Cowan, and the publisher, Christina Gerdovich, who's no, they're, they're no longer in those roles. But when I was there, really for almost my whole tenure, they were my bosses. And just seeing the two of them work together, how well they worked together, understood each other, and led the magazine through so much change. Um, I just adore them both. They're incredible women who I still literally go to. I mean, I'm having, you know, drinks with Christina tomorrow. She is still the person I go to for all my career questions. And Dana, too. I mean, I bumped into Dana at a restaurant last week. And I, when I went to hug her, I, like, didn't want to let go. She's like, you know, my big sister. I'm like, oh, my God, you're here. You're going to make life okay. She's just, you know, an incredible woman who now has become a career coach because she is so good at fostering that and bringing out the best in people. Wow. So I feel really privileged uh, to have had them as my teachers and mentors for so long. Um, but then there were so many, you know, there's so many people in my life. Tom Colicchio has been a big brother to me for 15 years. You know, he sits to my right at the Top Chef judges table, but he's also just taught me so much about parenting and managing a career and he always gives me very truthful advice. Um, and he has become such a leader, especially over the last two years, <clears throat> but always, you know, he's one of the great voices at the, in the independent uh, restaurant coalition that really led the charge to lobby in DC to get the restaurant act passed and to get, um, uh, you know, money in the hands of restaurateurs so that our industry didn't collapse over the last two years. I think about all the time who's become a really good friend over the last couple of years, um, Millie Peartree, uh, a chef in the Bronx, who, you know, became my friend, really, it's funny, over the pandemic, really over Instagram. And that sounds like such a superficial, ridiculous thing. But in truth, she now is someone who has become, you know, we now can see each other in real life, uh, come to each other with issues. She's such a thoughtful person. She, you know, when her life was turned upside down before the, before the pandemic and during when her business was turned upside down, she started a nonprofit to feed the children of the Bronx who weren't getting meals anymore because schools were shut down. And it became a, an organization, um, full bellies, full hearts that just, you know, became to me the epitome of what this industry does when people around you are in need. It's not just about the industry itself, but about the, your community. Right. And she's such a leader in her community. Um, but she also like still takes the time once a week to check in on my mental health. Pretty awesome. 
when you kind of joked about, I was rambling there a little bit, but you guys- are you kidding? No, I'm soaking it up. Cause as soon as you said Instagram friends, I feel like it gets a bad rap. Um, because yeah. I think, I think what Instagram has done in a really unique way, I guess any social platform is it brings together um, people that share, like whether it's a value or a common interest and it, I don't know, it brings people together in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise, I guess, been able to meet or share yep. their work or celebrate with them. And so, um, it's been one of those cool things. Like our customers are nationwide meeting people and like becoming friends with people because of this platform yep. or yep. business collaborations. It's endless. Yeah, it is. So, um, and you know what I love as I'm hearing you say these people, I think power of proximity is so important. And so you kind mm-hmm. of set out on this dream, not really knowing what it was going to look like. And even though you've kind of achieved some of these incredible career milestones, you continue to surround yourself with people to kind of like encourage you and push you. And it's really admirable, you know, because I think some people you know, get to, funny. I go ahead. Go ahead. No, please, please finish your thought. No, some people kind of reach whatever the goal is or the milestone is. And they're like, okay, I've, I've arrived. I'm here, you know, but I, I admire that in you. Um, and I think that's um, inspiring for everyone listening to always surround yourself, never stop. Well, I don't think I ever, uh, two things on, I don't think I ever had an end goal because I never really had a plan. So I could, you know, I could never have foreseen how things would go. So there was never this one thing I never like kind of set out to do. And then when I, when I accomplished it, I stopped, right. That was the, that's the first thing. Um, I just keep going because I like what I do. And as long as people want me to keep doing it, I'll keep doing it. And I get so much out of it personally. Um, I also feel like the restaurant community and also specifically the New York restaurant community where I was sort of raised, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people outside of New York feel like it's this tough place that is so hard to break into. And of course it is. And I don't, I don't take for granted the privileges that I had uh, coming to New York and affording to be able to go to a great culinary school and, you know, work for really excellent people. Um, but what I'm constantly astounded by and really appreciate is that sense of community that I've always felt in it. Um, and these long lasting relationships that, you know, it that take work. I mean, yeah. they take work. You need to keep them up. I believe in so many great people and I spend time and I make effort to keep up these relationships with people because they inspire me and they impress me and they're I need them in my life to keep me going. Um, and I think that sort of fosters a sense of community that I've been really lucky to have and has, has, um, you know, really been the fuel in my job because I've just loved the people that I've worked with. You know, there's that saying, you can love your job, but if you don't like the people, you'll never want to go. But if you even don't like your job so much, and I'm lucky that I do, um, but you love the people, you'll always keep going. And I feel that very much that sure, there are hard days. Yeah. Certainly the last few years have been unimaginably complicated and difficult. And there's been so much loss, but I've loved the people that I've gotten to work with so much that it's kept me going. One thing I want to touch on, if you're comfortable just sharing real quick, you said your friend was Millie sure. from the Bronx. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Millie, yeah, Millie said, yeah. You said that she, um, checks in on your mental health. Now, what is sure. that? So in your friendship, what mm-hmm. does that look like? Cause it sounds like it is really, I don't know, like impactful for you in your friendship. So what does that look like? How does she do that? Well, literally 
you know, we both check in on each other. You need people to check in on each other. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, and I think this last couple of years has, has allowed or has, has forced us all to realize that like, sometimes we're really not okay. And that's, yeah. you know, that whole thing, it's okay to not be okay, but it's really nice to have people who actually give a crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's just the tech message. Hey, how you doing? What's your week like? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on with you? And most days I'm pretty good, you know, no complaints. But um, it's just it's just always thoughtful to have someone outside of my little universe yeah. who has some objectivity and also empathy. Um, and, you know, she is a woman who has not had an easy life herself and is very candid about her own journey uh, with mental health, with, you know, figuring out her business, learning to be the person she wants to be. She's really just, I mean, this is one example, but she's like really inspiring in the way that she working in the industry. It's just awesome to see other people who, who do that and who you can um, take lessons from because um, we're all sort of learning along the way. So it's just, you know, and you know, I, I have a lot of girlfriends who uh, really play a major role in my life, like her and so many others who you know, I think the reason that we've had many, many years of friendship is because we can we can be candid with each other and sometimes things aren't aren't great and you need to be able to talk about it. Yeah, I love that. I think something I try to talk about a lot on our platform too is like meaningful connection. And I think so many of us are surrounded by people, but we don't have that um that like heart to heart connection, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. feel like you can be vulnerable. And I think one of the places to start is just really by checking in with each other, you know, like allowing yep. space to to share life. And um I'm just so thankful that you have that with her. And and yeah. not, not to be scared to ask how people are doing. Um, That's right. And also, it, you know, the it's hard too to know how to help friends, I find yeah. these days, especially because we aren't all in person the way we used to be. You know, I'm not going to an office and seeing my colleagues every day, but they're still there out in the ether. Mm-hmm, um, right. And so, uh, you know, talking to them, maintaining that relationship and making an effort it takes effort. It's it exhausting, but it's also so rewarding. I need mm-hmm. I need those women specifically in my life who I know I can count on. Obviously, I'm you know lucky. I'm, I'm in a very strong 20 plus year mar- relationship with my husband. Uh, but you, you know, you need, you all need outlets and you need to be able to, um, you know, have conversations with people who can give you objectivity and, and support in different ways. So good. Well, we can end with this last question just because I'm, I'm personally curious. I want to hear a little bit more about it. Um, I wanted to gush about the good dish. First of all, the three oh, of sure. you have such <laughs> an incredible chemistry. Do you hear that all the time? <laughs> a good dish that we haven't even chatted about yet, but the good dish is a show, you know, it's on five days a week, uh, across the country. And we just, um, are wrapping up production on it, but, but it's still airing through the end of May. And, um, it kind of came to me totally unexpectedly and has been one of the most rewarding, if not the most rewarding thing I've done in the last couple of years, uh, in ways I could have never known. I mean, and specifically because of Jamaica and Daphne, um, and they're two of those women as well. You know, speaking of that network of, of connection, we all knew each other sort of peripherally, but we've been thrown together and, you know, we've just spent 10 weeks 
12 hours a day together. And I've never worked on a set. And I love my Top Chef set. And I've made many, you know, things intelligent, but like an all woman hosted set, women executives, three women hosts together, who just, we just, we just were easy on each other. And we loved waking up to each other. I mean, we were together from six in the morning. And there was not a moment when I ever thought that this was exhausting or, um, I I don't know. It was, it was a thrill to work with those women. Yeah. That's refreshing and rare to hear that side of the industry Mm -hmm. and the story. It was truly as fun as I hope it looks on television when you turn in during the day. I mean, the purpose of making the good dish was really to bring people joy at a time when it's not joyful and people need inspiration to get dinner on the table every day, because no matter what we do all day long, at the end of the day, we all have to eat. We all have to feed our families. Uh, we all need inspiration and um, need to be a bit invigorated to do so. Um, and we want to be able to trust sources to do so and make it fun and joyful. And we laughed a lot. We're still laughing. <laughs> I love it. Celebrity chefs, actors, comedians, you know, some incredible people who would just come into the kitchen and want to cook. Some of them are great cooks. Some of them had never boiled water. And, wow. you know, when you come into the good dish kitchen, you're just, you know, thrown in and we make it easy and fun. And it was just such a, such a, like a, a fun, happy moment to be able to just talk and cook together with so many great people. Wow. Well, I love that. I love that side of your career too. kind of have it all covered. And, um, as well, it definitely was a side of me on television that I don't get to do otherwise. I mean, it, yeah. it was really, a 180 from my role on Top Chef. And I think that's also why I like it so much because I was able to be a lot more casual, a lot looser. I wasn't judging. In fact, it was the opposite. I was just kind of cooking and sometimes we messed up and made mistakes and laughed and made a mess. Well, we end every conversation with the same three questions and I am curious to hear your answers. Let's start here. Um, Something you've eaten recently and loved. Goodness of all people to ask. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So many things. Um, I was out for dinner at a restaurant in New York, um, two weeks ago, uh, a Spanish restaurant called Ernesto's that I've been wanting to go for a long time. And they made the most perfect, beautiful tortilla, you know, traditional Spanish omelet, potato omelet, um, that I've had in a really long time. And it just took me right back. And it was so beautifully made. I could have had five of them. I tried to make it once and butchered it and I've been scared to go back. So <laughs> no, keep going. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Making something once does not make, you know, you got to make it a few times perfected. Trust me, yeah. the, the Spanish abuelas who are making tortillas in Spain, it's because they make them perfectly because they've been making them their whole lives. Yeah. I need no to one's born right. knowing how to do anything. Yeah. Practice what I preach a little bit with that one. Mm. Um, but they are killer. They're good. Um, something mm-hmm. you found to be beautiful lately. Oh, um, no, this is going to sound cliche, but there's nothing that makes me happier than spring starting to peek through in my neighborhood. I love where I live. I live in a little corner of Brooklyn that is really residential. And right now, all the buds on the trees are just coming out and the tulips are just starting to poke through the soil. And it reminds me that we've made it through another harsh winter and that, um, you know, 
that the sun will shine again. And every morning I walk my son to school. He's three and three quarters. And we walk out of the main door of our house and there's two flowers aren't there yet. And he every day checks to see if they've grown. I mean, you can't really tell, but he's like, look, mama, the, the flowers are coming up. Um, And that is my favorite thing because he sees it too. He knows that spring is coming. It's like a little reminder of hope, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I always look at spring. It really is. Um, okay. Well, that's really sweet. Cause I can relate to that one too. That's how I'm feeling. These <laughs> days. Um, and yeah. a gathering you attended that made you feel a strong sense of belonging. And if you could pinpoint it, what it was that made you feel that way. I would say last night I got to eat dinner at, uh, this restaurant Chiquette. Uh, the chef Aisha is an amazing woman, a real powerhouse in the industry, an amazing chef. And, uh, the restaurant is middle Eastern inspired um Israeli and otherwise and she did a collaboration with my friend Eden Greenspan who has who's also Israeli and they have she has a cookbook that came out a year or so ago and they did a dinner um at the restaurant and it was open to the public anyone can make reservations but there was just a, a lot of industry there and women uh who I haven't seen in a long time and you know, I haven't gone to a lot of gatherings, truthfully. Like, we're just coming out of this moment where I have been extra cautious. I was filming uh, television that didn't allow me to go eat in restaurants or go out in public much. I was, you know, in these bubbles, and I have small children that I was trying to protect from being ill and, you know, compromise people with illness in my life. So the emerging into an into a dinner, a restaurant like that, a, a, a sort of throbbing restaurant of people who I haven't seen in years and these two women who I admire cooking and the music playing and we it was just such a sense of community and it was wonderful it just felt like we were alive again just a celebration and I haven't had a chance to do much celebrating like that in a really long time so so good well where can people find you because I'm sure everyone's itching too after this um you can find me at gailsimmons.com uh, on Instagram at Gail Simmons Eats, Twitter at Gail Simmons, um, and on Top Chef every Thursday night at 8 p.m. and on The Good Dish every weekday. If you just check your local listings because it plays on different channels across the country, but go to GoodDishTV.com and find you know your local listing of where it airs in the city that you're in. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Such a Diverse conversation with so much inspiration. Thank you. Everyday host. Yeah. We're excited to send you your way. Absolutely. See you next week, guys.